To the optimist, the cup is half full. To the pessimist, the cup is half empty. To the engineer, the cup is twice as big as it needs to be. <laughs> we're going to talk about cups. Why are we going to talk about cups? You probably started to piece together the fact that we handed out these papers. You can look with your neighbor. <coughs> the papers, uh, the, the class is free, but the papers are $10 each. I'll get to this in a second. Parshas Titzavit begins with the mitzvah to Aharon, Mesha's brother, the Kain Gadol, to kindle the lamps, the menorah, the candelabrum, every day in the Beis Hamikdash. Also in our Parsha, we talk about the placement of the menorah, which we will talk about a little bit more in a bit. Last week in Parsha's Teruma, we spoke about the design of the menorah. And um, we're going to talk about that a little bit right now. Part of the design of the menorah is that there are ornamental cups. I don't mean on the top where, the, where, the, where the, they actually poured the oil, where there was actual receptacles for burning the oil. I mean ornamental on each arm or branch of the menorah, there, there are um, what are described as gvi'im. Gvi'im literally mean chalices or cups or goblets. And according to our sages in the Gemara in uh, Menachis, Chofches uh, Aleph, in Menachis it talks about Alexandrian goblets, which everybody of course knows about the Alexandrian goblets, which are all the rage. Well, 2,000 years ago they were all the rage. At any rate, but uh, if you went to Ikea in Babylonia in you know, the 400s, you would find Alexandrian. Alexandrian goblets are basically uh, narrow at the base, and wide at the mouth, and um, sort of like a flared goblet. Yeah, kind of almost like a martini glass, but more narrow, I guess, like a champagne flute. I don't know, whatever, you could ask. I'm not into these things, I don't know, what do I know? But uh, this is a drawing that the Rambam drew in his Pirish Lameshnayis. Um, the Rambam wrote many svarim, one of which is the uh, commentary on the Mishnah, and this particular drawing goes along with uh, the third chapter of Menachos, and this is a sketch which actually was in the, it still is, in the Oxford University Library, at least for the past four, four or five hundred years it's been there. And uh, the Rambam drew this himself, and as you see, the gvi'im, the goblets, you see how they're depicted with the narrow end at the top and the flared end at the bottom. Now, let me ask you a question. Picture a cup. Hold on a second. I'm, I'm going to hide my, the real cup so that you have to picture. Picture a cup. 
in your mind's eye, the archetypical cup. Or imagine asking a five-year-old, draw a picture of a cup. If a little five-year-old draws a picture of a cup, where's the open end and where is the closed end? Open end is on top. Open end on the top, and closed is on the bottom. Right, that's a cup. And yet, <laughs> you look here, these Alexandrian goblets, these gvium, I mean, they're, I understand they're not functional, they're ornamental, nevertheless. The bottom is on the top and the top is on the bottom. Now some say, well, it was just a sketch, it wasn't meant to be that exact. Okay, not, it, it is a sketch, it isn't that exact, but still, something like that, to actually literally make something upside down, the opposite of how it's supposed to be. And by the way, that's, that's a, it's a serious question, not just like aesthetically. In the Beis Hamikdash and then in the Mishkan, everything had to be right side up. Um, in fact, we learned this from the fact that even the, the planks of acacia wood, which were the krushim, the boards for the walls of the Mishkan, had to be placed in the direction in which they grew, in which the tree originally grew. Because everything, yeah, everything has to be perfect, everything has to be flawless, impeccable, and, and therefore everything has to be right side up. So how do we have this upside down cup, even if I understand it's, it's not functional, it's ornamental, nevertheless, why would we have this symbol of an upside down cup on a menorah, which is supposed to be, you know, this perfect vessel representing this archetypical idea. It's a funny concept. Okay. So, I'm going to tell you a story. The story, actually, I'm going to tell you two stories. One story is in order to be able to tell you the second story. Actually, I could tell you the second story. I don't need to tell you the first story. The first story is in order that the second story should make more sense. Here's the first story. First story is about an Israeli soldier in the Sinai back in the 70s before they gave it away. And um, he was stationed there. And one day, a jeep full of Lubavitcher Chassidim pull up and they jump out of the jeep and they start handing out little food packages to, to all the soldiers. And little did this young man know but the day was Purim. He didn't, even realize, he didn't even realize it was Purim. And they started handing out these, these uh, Shalachmonis. And they said, ha Happy Purim, you know, Purim Sameach, from uh, Rabbi Milobavitch. So he says, you know, I don't know who this Rabbi Milobavitch is, but it's very nice of him to send me a present. This started... This started his return to Yiddishkeit, but not, not all at once and definitely not even quickly. It was a, it was a slow process, and, but this started when he received that gift, when he received that Shalach Monas on that Purim day in the Sinai. Uh, long story short, what happened is, and this happens to many Israelis, they leave Eretz Yisrael, they go to Chutz Laaretz, and that's where they have their real spiritual awakening. So this young man, his name was Moshe, his name still is Moshe, Moshe Tzur, he came to Chicago, and there he met the Shliach, Rabbi uh, Maskowitz, all of a shalom, and we became very close to Rabbi Maskowitz, and he started to become uh, close to Yiddishkeit, more observant, and eventually uh, Rabbi Maskowitz took uh, Rabbi Moshe to uh, Machni Yisrael, 
Development Fund Yechidus Klolis. There was a for certain donors, there was an event where the Rebbe would sit downstairs, not upstairs in the Rebbe's room, but downstairs, and they would have like a group meeting, and people who were part of this group would, would have a sort of one-on-one -on -one moment with the Rebbe. Um, so his moment came, and the Rebbe asked him a question. The Rebbe said, you know, in... In Judaism, we emphasize the right side. We start everything with the right. Even getting dressed, we start with the right. Everything's emphasizing the right. The right is kindness, the right is, is chesed. Um, so he, the Rebbe said, it's funny, when Hashem made the human being, you have two main organs that the whole body depends on. You have the brain and you have the heart. Now, the brain is in the middle, that makes sense, because it's central, so physically also it is placed in the center. The heart, though, not only is it not central, but if it's shifted off to one side or the other, you would think it would be on the, prom the prominent side, on the right side. But the heart instead is off on the left side. So that, that seems funny. Why did Hashem do that when he designed the human being? So Moshe had no idea what to answer. He had never thought about this, and there was no, no, no answer came to mind. So he just sort of stood there, you know, in uh, dumbfounded. So the Rebbe answered. The Rebbe said, you know, the, the heart is the seat of emotion. And the primary emotion is love. Love is a feeling that I have in order to connect me with someone else. So my heart isn't really for me, my heart is for you. Therefore, my heart is on the right side. When one Jew faces another Jew in Ahavas Yisrael, so your heart is on the right side. Not your right side, but your heart's not for you anyways. Your heart is for the one who you're loving. Your heart is on the person who you're facing. It's on their right side. Your right is their left your left is their right. So your heart is on the right side, the right side of the other Jew, exactly where it belongs. And at that moment, Moshe realized that you know, his journey to Yiddishkeit began because he received a gift. Somebody remembered him, somebody thought of him. They sent him Shalach Manus on Purim when he didn't even know it was Purim. But now, he realized it was all about giving the gift about being the one who would inspire others. And he became a huge supporter. He started yeshivas and kolos and, and Eretz Yisrael. And, and the idea is that giving isn't something that's extra. Giving is basic to life itself to the extent that when Hashem designed us, when Hashem made the human body and, and planned its anatomy, the human body itself would testify to the fact that we are most functional, we are most uh, alive, we are most healthy when we are in a giving mode because we were built for giving to the extent that our heart is not even on our right side, it's on the recipient's right side exactly where it belongs. We're built for giving. So the whole model is counterintuitive until you realize, no, it's not about receiving, it's about giving. Once you realize the whole thing is about giving, now it makes perfect sense where the heart is placed. But you just have to flip the paradigm. Okay, so that's my first story. Second story, 
took place on Simchas Torah, Tov Shin Mem Vav, that means the last few months of 1985. And uh, customarily the Rebbe would fabreng, would lead a gathering, and then there would be a short intermission, and then they would start Hakafas. And the Hakafas would go all night long. At the Fabrengen, the Rebbe had his, uh, his becher, his silver kiddush cup, and the Rebbe said L'chaim, he drank L'chaim, he finished the wine that was in the, the cup, and when he finished it, then he turned it over, turned over the cup upside down, and held it up, and showed everybody, and there was an amazing uproar. Everybody started getting excited. Basically, the, the, the Rebbe was motioning to everyone, finish your cup, you know, drink the whole contents of the cup, and, and, every, and then everyone started turning over their cups. And uh, the Rebbe explained, what, what, what's the idea of the upside-down cup? By the way, I should mention to you, there was a, I mentioned there was a brief intermission between the Fabrengen and the Hakafas. The Rebbe remained in shul, but um, the Rebetzin was in the library, in the building next door. The Rebbe and the Rebetzin lived on President Street, a few blocks away. But on Yom Tif, they, were, they would move into the library. And um, somebody else would go and make Kiddush for the Rebetzin during that break, because the Rebbe would stay in shul. Except for one year, actually, 1988, the Rebbe himself went to the library and made Kiddush. In fact, the Rebbe went to the room where the Rebbetzin was and then made sure everybody else left the room. And then privately, the Rebbe made Kiddush for the Rebbetzin. That was actually the last year before she passed away. And it was one of those things that, looking back, is uh, sort of uncanny. At any rate, this was 1985. Uh, somebody else went to go make Kiddush for the Rebbetzin. And when they went, it was a group of them. Um, the Rebetzin asked about the Fabrengen, and they told her, oh, was very, it was very exciting. The Rebbe finished the L'chaim, and he turned the cup upside down and motioned to everybody they should finish their L'chaim, and everyone should hold their cups upside down. And it was uh, very, very exciting. And uh, the person I heard the story from was actually there. He said, the Rebetzin was a very like, mild-mannered, very modest, very low-key woman. She, but she was sitting at her table, and she was listening, like, she was always very attentive and very, um, you know, uh, a very, very gracious host. But quietly, while she was listening to this description of the Fabrengen, they saw she took the teacup that was by her place setting, and she discreetly just flipped over the teacup upside down. So, she, so she, she should also have an upside down cup. So what's the upside down cup? The Rebbe explained at that, uh, at that Fabrengen. The Rebbe said that in the Beis HaMikdash they have the Menorah. And the Menorah has ornamental cups on it. And the cups, the way the Rambam drew them, are quote-unquote upside down. Upside down. However, the term upside down is a relative term. Upside down is, is, is relative. It's all dependent upon context. It depends what you're trying to do. 
If you're trying to hold on to something, so the, the, the open part on top is called right side up. But if you're trying to dispense, if you're pouring, then that would be called upside down, and having the open part on the bottom would be called right side up. So it all depends on what the purpose of a cup is. If you look at a cup as a receptacle, then the open part has to be on the top. But if you look at the cup as dispensing, as pouring, as giving, then the open part has to be on the bottom. Well, let's figure it out. What was the purpose of the Menorah altogether? We have it in this week's Parsha. Perechov Zayin, Posik Chof Aleph, 27-21. It says, Hashem is telling uh, Moshe that uh, they should light the Menorah. Aaron should light the Menorah, the Kehanim. And then he says where it should be, Ba'ayal Maid, in the Tent of Meeting, Mechutz Laparechis, outside of the curtain, Asher al Ho'edus, which is in front of the testimony. What is the Edus? What is the testimony? So the Gemara, Shabbos Chov Beis, Amr Beis, says that the testimony is that the light of the Menorah was not for the Beis HaMikdosh. Actually, the Gemara asks like this, how, why does Hashem need lighting fixtures? Forty years in the wilderness, the Jews were following Hashem's light. So Hashem's got the light. What, what does he need to get a light? The light wasn't for the Beis HaMikdosh. It wasn't for Hashem's house. The light was to shine from Hashem's house. It was for the rest of the world. So the edus, the testimony, is that the light of the Menorah is not to light up the interior where it was placed, in the room where it was placed, like every other light. To the contrary, the edus, the testimony, is that the light of the Menorah is to shine outward and to light up the rest of the world. And indeed, you see that the way that Shleimah Melch built the Beis HaMikdosh, when after the Mishkan, there was the Mikdosh, the permanent house in Yerushalayim. The way Shleim Melch built the Beis HaMikdosh would never pass an energy audit. Why? Because it lost all the heat and the warmth, the way he built the windows. It says, the, the, the Lashon HaPasuk in Sefer Malachim, is that he built the windows of the Beis HaMikdosh, Shkufim Atumim. What does Shkufim Atumim mean? It's a funny etymology. Shkufim Atumim, the commentaries say, means flared outward. Normal windows in the old days were flared inward so that whatever light and warmth and heat there was would sort of expand, diffuse inward into the room. Sort of like a, a reverse funnel. The way Shlomo Melch built the Beis HaMikdush was the exact opposite. It was narrow on the inside and it would flare outward so that whatever light and warmth was inside was diffusing outside. Why did he do that? Because of the, this idea of edus, that the menorah wasn't to light the room that it was in, it was to light the rest of the world, everything but the room that it was in. So therefore, it makes perfect sense. This is what the Rebbe said on Simchas when he turned the cups upside down. He said, this is not an upside down cup. Just like in the Beis HaMikdash, and we see this is the way that the Rambam drew it, these are not upside down cups. These are right-side-up cups. 
because if the cup is for the purpose of holding on to something, yeah, then you put the open part at the top. But if the cup is for pouring, if it's for dispensing, if it's for giving, then you want to have the open part at the bottom. And since the, the whole idea of the Menoida is edos, is testimony, that there's light coming from the base of Megdish to the world, and that the role of the Jewish people, again, to be a light into the nations, is not to receive, but to give. <laughs> then, these are right-side-up cups. And we could apply this to ourselves, like the story that Ebbe told Moshe Tzur, about why the heart is on your left side, because your heart is not yours, your heart is for others, it's on the other's right side. You can apply this to everything. Everything we have, whether it's our, our talents, <clears throat> our resources, opportunities we were given, they don't exist for us. And they're not functional when they're just there as receptacles to hold on to something. Everything we have and we've been given, it exists for others. And it is functional when it's in the mode of dispensing and of giving. That's a right-side-up cup. So everything we have in our lives, everything, we have to take stock and make sure that our cups are truly right-side-up. What, what we might have thought of as upside down, that's not upside down, that's right side up. Everything we have, everything we've been given, everything that we have an opportunity to, uh, to do, uh, resources, talents, um, everything that's in our life, we have to take stock and make sure that it's in the giving mode, it's in the dispensing mode, and, and, and when it is so, that's when we are truly healthiest and happiest, and uh, that's when we are in tune with our godly designed function.